0: Welcome to Chazon, the podcast. The next few episodes are part of the series, Sound the Call, a journey through COP26. COP26 is a UN summit that has convened global leaders to accelerate action towards averting the worst impacts of the climate crisis. Yakir Manella, CEO of Chazon, and Nigel Savage, the visionary founder of Chazon, have flown to Glasgow to advocate for bold, meaningful climate action and meet other faith climate leaders who are doing the same. During each episode, they will speak with a different faith leader who they've met at COP26 to debrief the day's events and to learn more about their climate work. Nigel has met up with longtime Khazon friend Dr. Tariq Abu Hamed. Dr. Abu Hamed is the executive director of the ARVA Institute for Environmental Studies. The ARVA Institute is a leading environmental studies and research institute in the Middle East with a student body comprised of Jordanians, Palestinians, Israelis and participants from around the world, their mission is to advance cross-border environmental cooperation in the face of political conflict. They discuss their experience at COP26, Tariq's work at the Arva Institute, and the nuances, challenges, and opportunities that lie ahead for the American Jewish, Israeli, and Palestinian environmental movements. Due to the nature of live recordings and the internet connectivity in the COP26 pavilion, you may notice some variations in the audio quality of this recording. We apologize for this inconvenience. Enjoy.
1: Hi, everybody. My name is Nigel Savage. I'm coming to you live from uh, COP26 here in Glasgow. Um, I uh, was the founder, I am the founder, and was for 21 years the CEO of Kazan. Uh, and happily, I'm not. Yakia Manella, who's here with us in Glasgow, is now the CEO of Kazan. And we're doing this series of podcasts here live from COP26 and I'm incredibly thrilled and excited uh, to have as our guest this evening Dr. Tarek Abu Hamid, who is now the executive director of the Aravat Institute. Tarek is a Palestinian Muslim from East Jerusalem. He did his PhD in Turkey. He did postdocs uh, in the United States and at the Weizmann Institute. He was uh, in the office of the chief scientist in the Israeli government. Uh, he was most recently the academic director of the Arava Institute. And just as both David Lehrer and I stepped down uh, from their respective organizations, you and Yakia uh, stepped up. So Tarek, firstly, it's just a great pleasure to see you. We've seen each other in various places, but this is the first time in Glasgow. The same. Um, First of all, just say, I'm going to ask you in a minute about the Aravat Institute, but Cup 26 is kind of weird. Right. It's huge. There's all these different things going on. What have you made of it so far? What have you liked? What have you not liked? What have you been surprised by?
2: Okay, actually, this is a great opportunity uh, to join the COPs. I was in uh, the previous one in Paris and now in, uh, in Glasgow. Uh, it's a great uh, opportunity for any environmental and educational organization to uh, to join in order to learn and see what is the world uh, doing. Uh, we all hear the very ambitious uh, uh, targets from uh, from different countries. The, what makes this cup uh, unique is actually considering or thinking about uh, climate change as not a an economical uh, burden on uh, on many countries Uh, the many countries see it as as opportunity they see high-tech and technology and green technologies as a solution for the for the climate change that's why we see a lot of business people here a lot of educational Uh, we hear the voice of uh, the youth in this uh, in this conference taking the lead and preparing their uh, requests for the uh, negotiations on uh, on Monday, uh, everything is going uh, going well, and I hope that the countries uh, will meet uh, their targets. It's uh, as I said, it's a very ambitious uh, uh, target for many for many countries, but I believe that it's uh, it's doable. We are we are late. And we have to act uh, now in order to see the changes in within 10 or 20 years
1: i think one of the things that i'm really struck by is that i was a little bit involved in the lead up to copenhagen and paris and in the lead up to those conferences people who were involved in the environmental movement were aware of it but outside of that not so much and i think one of the things that's very striking and frankly quite moving is that it feels like in the attention of the world this conference has a much 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 higher profile than ever before and that we really are at a tipping point moment and an awful lot of things are starting to move in significant ways do, do you think that's Indeed. right
2: yeah i also noticed uh, noticed this it's uh, i think because the impact because the people saw more and more uh, natural uh, disasters around the whole uh, the whole world we saw here in COP26 even farmers, regular farmers, normal farmers from, from Africa, from North uh, North America, they know that climate change is impacting their, their daily lives. And when you open any TV these days, you see that uh, COP26 is on the headlines uh, everywhere, even in the developed world and the developing uh, world.
1: Um- Tara, you've, you've just taken over the Aravat Institute and Khazana's has worked with the Aravat Institute now for 18 years. And we've watched it firsthand every single year. This organization, the Aravat Institute, has grown, has had more impact, has had more reach, has done more things. And you're arriving at really an exciting moment. And I think even even since you've been, been there, you've just launched this center for applied I've forgotten what it's called, the The Center for Applied Environmental Diplomacy. Is that yes. right? Tell us a little bit about what your first two or three months on the job has been like. What are you enjoying? What are you proud of? What are the challenges? Look,
2: I'm not a new, uh, newcomer to the Arabian Institute. I've been involved with the Institute since uh, 2008. I watched it growing. Uh, I think the region started to believe that regional cooperation environmental issues is very critical to the uh, to the region that's why the Arab institute is growing and growing and having more impact on the ground in between in israel and also in the, in palestine and in jordan in the past uh, we were approaching governmental organizations and offices to get help to uh, uh, get funding and now the these organizations these governmental offices approaches the approach the Arava our Institute to to consult and to get uh, help in connecting between uh, Israelis, Palestinians Jordanians uh, The three the, the first three months uh, actually were for me very very exciting uh, very eye-opening to see the organization like from a the, what they call it, the bird eye, and to be involved in every little uh, uh, operation uh, at the uh, at the Institute, I really as I did in the past, enjoying working at the, at the Arab Institute. And the nice thing in the Arab Institute is that everyone who works at the Arab Institute believes in the mission of this organization.
1: I'm really struck that this is a really interesting moment right now in Israel in general. Um, just in the course of like last week and the week before i i i went out for one day with rabbis for human rights and we we picked olives with a palestinian farmer in the west bank in the stachim in Judah for Shamram in palestine all those names <laughs> uh but a family that had been attacked by israeli jewish settlers um happily nobody showed up that day but it felt like an important thing to do and was reflective of in a sense bad things that are happening there. And then the week later, I was at the Knesset for the announcement of the controller general's report on the environment in Israel, very significant, a sort of scathing critique of the Israeli government for not doing more on the environment. And yet also an incredibly inspiring day, relative certainly to the politics of the United States. Um, Alon Tal, founder of the Arab Institute, now a Knesset leading this thing. But the speakers included, um, an MK from Yamina, which is to say, really on the right, followed by a Hanin from Kadash and a communist, followed by somebody from Meretz, and a real sense of like momentum and energy and change. And I'm really interested to know what your take is right now on like this Israeli government, what's going on in Palestine, Abbas, the environment, what are the challenges, what's like really teach us a little bit about what's happening right now. Yeah, actually this
2: uh, as you said uh, yeah as i said uh, as you said nigel the this government is uh, is a unique one it's very diverse from the uh, extreme right to the extreme uh, the extreme left uh, i believe that there's a great opportunity within this uh, government with the people that we have now in the decision making process we know about several uh, meetings between uh, different sides from Israel and from uh, from Palestine, there's a great opportunity. People are willing to do changes on the uh, on the ground. Maybe the, the Israeli government agreed not to deal with the with the peace process uh, now, but we see a lot of progress on, on different aspects from the environment, from giving Palestinians, building permits in, uh, in areas, the areas, the Palestinians are also willing to uh, to cooperate on uh, on many aspects, uh, so this is a great opportunity for organizations like the, the Arab Institute to be addressed, uh, to ease and to help in doing these uh, communications, and that's why actually we established the Center for Applied Environmental uh, Diplomacy, because we want to use a diplomatic tool, environmental diplomatic tool. We want to use the science, the research as a diplomacy tool to connect between people. And we call it applied because we conduct projects on the ground. We want to use these projects as proof of concept that this can happen. The communication between Palestine and Israel is, is doable. It's feasible. And we just need the, the, the willingness to uh, to do that. And we also need the role and the power of uh, of diplomats in, uh, in our region to help conduct such environmental projects, transponder environmental projects that impact the life of people on both, uh, on both sides.
1: Can you give us an example of, of some of the things that some of your students or alumni are working on at the moment, either specific environmental projects or partnership
2: issues? Okay, the Arab Institute is conducting several projects right uh, right now. Just last week, we hosted 11 Gazans including five women from Gaza in the training on water and energy systems they've been with us for uh, for 5 days uh, we conduct several projects on uh, off-grid wastewater treatment systems in in the West Bank and also in uh, in Gaza our alumni are involved in the design and the implementation of the of the projects we also managed to introduce into Gaza strip three israeli Water generating, drinking water generators that they generate water from the uh, from the atmosphere. Uh, several projects on the ground that increases the quality of life of uh, of people. And the most important thing is that these small projects they build trust between the two sides.
1: And Suleiman has been doing stuff in, in Aqaba, in Is that right? Tell yes. us a bit about that.
2: Okay, we have not only Palestinian uh, alumni, we have many also Jordanian, Moroccan, uh, Turkish uh, alumni. They are very well uh, active and actually most of our alumni stay in the field of the uh, of the environment. Suleiman now is, Suleiman Halas is a Jordanian from uh, Aqaba. He lives in uh, Aqaba and he established the Jordan-Israel Center for Environment, Community and, uh, and Research. We call it Jiser, it's Gesher. it's a bridge. Uh, with Rina uh, Kedem, also another alumni uh, of, the, uh, of the Arabah Institute. And the nice thing in uh, at the Arabah Institute, we, when the students come to the Arabah Institute, they follow us. They learn from us. And towards the end of the semester, we follow them. We learn from, uh, from them. And that's the unique thing. And that's how we keep our students and alumni involved in what's happening on the ground in Israel, Palestine, Jordan. I'm interested also, again
1: but you don't have to answer this if it's a complicated question but it's not so easy to get students in from gaza it's quite a while since students have come in from gaza was that straightforward was that complicated
2: it is a uh, complicated it's a long uh, long process but again as i said we we the arab institute is good at building trust the people in gaza know the agenda of the Arab institute the civil administration the, the israeli agenda of the of the the Arab Institute. So we managed to build a trust with, the, with them. It takes a long time, but we are capable of, uh, of doing that.
1: There's been a lot of excitement in general in the last year or so about the Abram Accords and opening up those relationships with some of the Gulf states. Are you guys involved in that? Like, like, where is that? Is that a potential future, something?
2: Yeah, actually today we just got, uh, we signed an MOU with the United Arab Emirates uh, Organization It's uh, called the uh, Peace and Environment uh, Center. They actually approached uh, the Arab Institute to sign this uh, MOU. The goal of it is to do joint activities, prepare policy papers on the water, energy, food, uh, food nexus. Since the signature of the Abraham Accords, we managed also to submit joint research proposals with Emiratis, with Moroccan, organizations. It's a great opportunity for us. The Arab Institute has 25 years of experience in transboundary boundary research, and we want to build on that with the United Arab Emirates, with Bahrain, with Morocco, and to do more and more with these countries that they have similar climate to, uh, to ours. I
1: want to just ask you briefly about some of the actual specific issues on a sort of 10, 15, 20, 25-year view. Israel, Israel and Palestine are in a very hot part of the world, there seems to be some evidence that temperatures are rising in the Middle East by more than global averages. Can you just give us a sense over the next 20 or 25 years, A, what are the likely expected consequences, already in train consequences, of the climate crisis that we're already experiencing? And what are the key changes that you think needs to happen in the region in the face of that?
2: This is a very good uh, question. Uh, indeed, the, the region that we live in is a very hot spot for uh, when we talk about climate change. Israel is located in a geographical uh, location between Europe and uh, and Africa, and any changes in the climate in Europe and Africa impacts the region that we live in significantly. The, the summers are expected to be 40% hotter than the global, uh, the global average. Currently, we're facing 1.4 uh, degrees more than the the, uh, the global average. This is the, the increase in, uh, in temperature is, is a disaster for the whole uh, for the whole region. Less rain, more droughts, less agriculture. Like 70% of the agriculture in the MENA region relies on on rain. The the Nile Delta is expected to be flooded within like 10-20 years if you continue business as uh, as usual. Shatt al Arab in Iraq, also in Iraq, also uh, expected to be under uh, underwater. That means tens of millions of people will have to find another place to live in. The Delta in, uh, in Egypt is a house for 40 million people, and if they lose the agriculture, there if they lose the land there. There will be huge immigra- immigration waves within our region. So, climate change is not only environmental disaster; it's a first-degree national security issue for the whole for the for the whole region. If we look into what happened in in, uh, in Syria, people had to immigrate from the north and to and the south into Damascus, and that was actually catalyzed the the Arab spring in uh, in Syria. The the whole region that we will live in is is very fragile. If we do not act uh, now, I think in 10, 20 years, this place will be totally different, uh, different area. But again, as I said at the beginning, climate change, it's not only a threat, it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity, especially for for Israel, where it develops a new uh, uh, plant uh, types that they can handle droughts, heat, salinity, energy renewable energy production energy uh, storage developing technology to monitor pollution in water and also on the on the ground so this is a great opportunity for these technologies to be an example for the whole region and the whole uh, the whole world I'm I'm really um, struck even just you know
1: the last eight or ten weeks that I've been in Israel First of all, I'm struck that there is a real tipping point. Like there were 12,000 people, 14,000 people at the climate march in Tel Aviv last week. I, there's a young woman called Michal Deutsch who did an eight day hunger strike outside Bet um to call upon the government to take a climate crisis seriously. And I ended up spending time with her every day. I daven Kabbalat Shabbat, the prayer at the start of Shabbat, in the street opposite Bet Hanasi, the president's house before Friday. Um, I spent six hours with her on the day of Yom Kippur, when normally I'm in, I'm in <laughs> synagogue, back Knesset, all the day, and I, I, broke fast there. And what was most moving to me is that Buzi Herzog, who is the president of the State of Israel, not only came out the first day to say hello, to her, but on the night of Kol Nidre, after services, he came out with his wife and said to her, "Gmar Hatimtovah, I wish you a good fast." And he said, when this is over, write me a letter and I'll look at it. And I'm not saying that this is because of Michal, but two weeks later, he announced a major initiative um, under the office of the presidency to take on climate across the whole of Israeli society, chaired or led by Dov Hanin, who was mayor of Tel Aviv, who was a a communist and stuff. I'm really struck by this sense of people coming together across difference. Uh, The government is coming together, the private sector, and I have to say, you know, for many years, the story in the diaspora was, oh, the diaspora's so good, America, Britain, we're so good, Israel's messed up. And I'm not saying that Israel's not messed up. We all know (laughs) Israel is pretty messed up, but there is huge progress all over the place. And meanwhile, in the United States right now, things feel very, very gummed up and antagonistic. And most recently, we had this awful thing in D.C. where the Sunrise Movement, which is fundamentally a good thing. It's young, progressive Americans calling on everybody to make significant change. And they kicked out four Jewish organizations on the basis that they were Zionists, which was very sad. I think some of it has been walked out. But as you look at this, you're running a major organization. You're a you're a Religious Muslim, you're a Palestinian, you're an Israeli citizen. You've got alumni of every flavor all over the place. What do you make of what's happening in the states and in the American Jewish community? And have you got any advice for us?
2: Okay, first of all, I don't uh, agree, and I really, uh, I was really sad when I I read about uh, about that. uh, What we do at the Araba Institute while bringing Palestinians and Israelis together, Palestinians who never saw civil Israeli. They know Israelis with, uh, with the uniform, with the, with the army, we bring them in one, in one classroom. And uh, we teach them how to actually face the challenges in, uh, in our region. Uh, you cannot use the, the by uh, as as a tool, if you want to be in dialogue with with someone else you have to understand the the other in order to actually prepare your action to design your a uh, your actions you have to listen to them you have to hear you have to hear them bringing palestinians israelis not to change their mind no we want them to understand the reality of the uh, of the region by cutting organizations throwing organizations out of consortium or a, out of a of a league, that is the last thing that should happen in in the environmental in the environmental, uh, in the environmental uh, world. The main message of, of most of the world leaders in COP26 was partnership. We have to work together to solve this uh, this problem, regardless of the color, the belief, the religion, uh, because this is what we should uh, we should do. Uh, if you want to change something. You have to be in dialogue with all the stakeholders, with all the uh, all the players. You listen to them, you understand them. You, if you don't agree, that's totally uh, uh, totally fine. We are on the same uh, on the same ship, and we have all to work together to come safely to the to the shore.
1: Tarek, that's a, a great way to close. I I, I really want to say shukran to Darabah. Thank you. Um, to anybody who is watching, first of all, for information on, or listening, for information on the Arava Institute, go to Aravat.org. For information on Chazan, go to Chazan.org. Um, I, I just want to end by noting, for those of you who can see, we're in this this place in the center of COP26. It's kind of striking. There is a huge globe behind us. There are, in fact... Uh, national and international TV broadcasts that are actually broadcasting live from around this venue. Um, If you're listening to this or watching it, this is a tipping point moment. And it's a tipping point moment for all of us. And to me, Tarek, you personally, and the Aravat Institute institutionally, represent what it is to say, I will not be disempowered. I will not give up. I will figure out who I am and what I can do. Every single person who is listening to this has the opportunity to get your institution involved, your synagogue, your JCC, your Jewish camp. You should be part of the Khazan seal of sustainability. We're happy to work with you to drive a systemic process of change. You should see a piece of being a Jewish institution in the 21st century as partnering with the Israeli environmental movement and supporting the Israeli environmental movement. And if you want to invite Tarek or somebody from the Arava Institute to come and speak at some point, they would be honored to come. And so here, live in Glasgow, Tarek, thank you, everybody. Thank you, and thank you, everybody. My pleasure. And we'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow.
0: Thank you for joining us. If you're interested in this series and other Chazon podcasts, be sure to subscribe to Chazon the podcast. To follow other programs in the Sound the Call series at COP26, visit chazon.org backslash COP26.